That was really good. Thank you, Priscilla. And good morning to everyone, everyone here and, and uh, all of those watching online. I want to welcome you to our morning service at El Paso Bible Church. And uh, I do have happy winter, right? Last Thursday it was like mid-70s and finally we get some cold weather in El Paso. Um, some of you guys are wearing jackets. You're like, we don't like the cold weather. I like the cold. Uh, I'd rather be colder than hot. Um, I do have my bulletin in front of me, and I'm just going to go over some of the upcoming events that we have. Uh, January of 2024. Whew. That's right around the corner. Uh, we're having our men's breakfast, our first men's breakfast for the year, and that is on a Saturday. Guys, you're welcome and you're encouraged to come to that Saturday, January the 6th at 8 a.m. Um, according to this picture, we'll have coffee, spoons, forks, eggs, and bacon. <laughs> so plan on, on making it to that. Uh, we also have a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, December 24th, and that's, uh, that's on a Sunday. And we start that at 5.30. Uh, the service doesn't go past an hour, so it's a, it's a very nice service to remember and, and celebrate Jesus, uh, the, the coming of Jesus to this earth. So um, if you don't have plans, uh, I'd encourage you to come to that as well. And last but not least, today we have our Christmas party. This is the last luncheon, or I should say the last gathering uh, around food that we'll have as, as, uh, as a church this year. So it's going to uh, take place today at 6 p.m. And we'll have it in Building B, so the, our new building. And I encourage you to come to that. Um, we generally have newcomers or, or church lunch every, every month, the it's the third Sunday of every month, um, and uh, we always encourage you to come, but I, I really, really uh, ask that you consider coming to this one. I feel so short in this, in this podium, <laughs> always, and it's worse because we apparently shrink as we get older, so eventually <laughs> disappear. Uh, maybe Pastor Josh will make the shorter one when he starts shrinking, too. Maybe. Yeah, so I, I encourage you to consider coming to this one. We... We'll take some time to celebrate the victories that we've, that we've had as a church. Um, just a joyous celebration to uh, thank God for his goodness throughout this year. And uh, it's not only about the church body, but it's also about you guys uh, celebrating what, the, what God is doing in your lives in this 2023, this year. So um, good food. And uh, we'll have some, some people share uh, some songs as well, so uh, it's 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 going to be great, guys. Consider coming to that. Uh, it's an it's an awesome celebration. Everything's on break till sometime in January, so uh, just keep your eyes on on the bulletin for more information on on what's going on. Uh, today I'm reading out of Zechariah chapter thirteen, verse verses seven through nine. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. 
They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Shall we pray before we get started with our worship? Uh, Father, we thank you today for your goodness. Uh, thank you that uh, we can take these last Sundays of this year to uh, celebrate your coming. Uh, scripture says it is good news of great joy for everyone. And that includes us. So we thank you for that gift. Uh, thank you for the joy that it brings. And we do pray for those uh, families, maybe in our circles, but certainly around the world that are uh, not doing so well. And they're not, they're not having any joy uh, for X or Y reason. We, we pray for them, Lord, that you would encourage them and use others around them to uh, comfort them. We ask that you bless our time together as we worship you. As we are encouraged by the teaching of your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us for a time of worship?
Well, good morning. Uh, we made it, Jacob and I made it back from uh, DFW this week. Uh, we're never unscathed. Now, don't you believe him when he tells you that I was driving way, way too fast or something like that because he was asleep. Ninety percent of the time he was asleep. Uh, but I always bring back a little allergies with me these days when I go to that central strip of Texas, whether it's north or south. Uh, so I'm still getting a little bit of that out. Uh, so bear with me this morning. Uh, children, uh, remember that we just have adventurers today. So that's the younger Sunday school class, or children's church class, because uh, it's communion Sunday. So uh, if you're in the adventurers class, follow Montgomery's lead. You do not have to tell that man twice. You just, probably ever, right? You never have to repeat yourself to Montgomery? No, never. No, never. The... Uh, we're going to be in Malachi today, so why don't you find that book? That's actually a pretty easy one to find, isn't it? I didn't even make you go find a minor prophet, another different minor prophet or something where you, uh, well, let's just say your Bible may not have been ever open to that, depending on how long you've had it, right? It happens sometimes. You don't have to make excuses for it. Uh, but this is uh, the second uh, Sunday in Advent, and uh, 
So it is my custom a lot of times, you know, there's this thing called the lectionary. You know what the lectionary is? It's a calendar, a preaching calendar. Um, and it's quite useful uh, in certain seasons, right, because it is thematically, theologically structured. So there are four readings every week, and, and so not every Advent, but frequently I'll take some of the Old Testament passages that uh, are in that lecture, and Malachi is one of those, uh, and Jeremiah was another that we did last week. And uh, I feel like I'm missing something. Did I miss announcing something? Or do, like, kids, got, kids got excused, all that. Jacob, did I miss something? No? All right. It's been on the road a lot this week, I guess. It's one of those. And remember that Advent is not uh, pre-Christmas, right? Not theologically, not on the calendar. You guys are already Christmasing. I know that. That's okay. I'm trying to adjust a little bit how you Christmas, okay? Uh, that's okay. I don't want you to not Christmas. I don't want you to not pre-Christmas. But these passages are talking about primarily not the first Advent, although it is certainly necessary that the first Advent takes place, but rather the second advent, the second coming in power and glory of the Messiah. Okay, so I want you to understand that there are people that teach basically that most of that stuff already happened. They're called preterists. They're cuckoo clocks. They're nuts. Okay, so just be that way. I'm sorry that I have to be mean at that moment, but they are nuts because you can't make that work. Um, it's trying too hard. Uh, in my opinion. And yes, I do know their arguments, and I've studied them and read their books. Please don't read their books. It's not worth your time. Anyway, we won't burn them exactly, but don't bother. All right. But we talked about in Jeremiah last week, right, about the days that are coming. So Jeremiah had two categories of days that were coming. Uh, He had days that were coming uh, that were near, and those were days of destruction. Right, Jeremiah said, these are days of destruction. And when he looked far to the future, he said, there are more days coming in which the good word that I have proclaimed regarding the house of Israel and the house of Judah will be fulfilled, will be brought about, will be perfected. Hey, Thaddeus, would you grab me a Kleenex, please? Thank you. Uh, And uh, so Malachi has something similar. He sees days that are coming. We're looking for the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom that is future, the kingdom that is not now, the kingdom that has never been, all of which are categories of how people interpret Scripture. Uh, The kingdom is still future because we have a lot of events that haven't taken place, right? And we're going to talk about a lot of those this morning. Uh, We are not. That's the the predominant view of most of the church today is that we are somehow at least a partial fulfillment of the kingdom of the Messiah today on the earth. Just toss me the box, son. All right. In case, I'll just put the whole box up here, just in case. Thaddeus's email address. Now, I granted, I gave it to him as fourth son privilege because my brother instilled in him the idea of fourth son privilege because my brother was the fourth son. Getting your dad Kleenexes is fourth son privilege, just so you all know according to the first son. All right, anyway. So the kingdom that is to come. All right, so we don't teach that here. We don't teach that we're the kingdom. We don't teach that we are a political entity. We do not teach that we are a nation 
that is supposed to operate as a nation, uh, that has national expectations. We are not looking for our giants to slay, to drive the Philistines out of El Paso, because El Paso is not the promised land, as good as El Paso is, right? We love El Paso, wonderful place, good food. I never wanted to eat a tamale in my life till I came here. Never had one worth putting in my mouth. Good place, but it's not the promised land. We're the church. We are believers in Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, as we talked about in 1 Peter and 2 Peter both. We are a corporate entity that is characterized by dispersion. We're designed to be among the nations, not a nation. So we know that we're not at. We're not a nation. And Jeremiah told us, as a review, that one of the key characteristics was absolute, complete political power extending from Jerusalem, that the house of Judah would be restored, and specifically that as a result of that, Jerusalem would dwell in safety. So does the kingdom exist today, guys? Y'all watch the news? Is Jerusalem dwelling in safety right now? No. Has Jerusalem in your lifetime ever dwelt in safety? No. Some of y'all, I mean, Jerusalem has existed longer than the modern nation of Israel, you understand, but some of y'all may have lived long enough to know that the modern existence of Israel is relatively recent. But the kingdom isn't there. The king is not ruling. The house of Judah has not been restored, and Jerusalem does not dwell in safety. So when we look at that state of affairs, and we look at the past 2,000 years, and we know that hasn't taken place, it's, it, as unpopular as the word binary is today, right? Not nearly as popular as non-binary, right? <laughs> we have a binary choice. That means it's on or off. The kingdom is either there or it isn't, and the evidence states that it isn't. The kingdom is not here. It is not there. But it is guaranteed, and it's coming. There is no non-binary option. The only option allowed to us is that the kingdom is future. The days are still coming. We're going to see that some more this morning. Now, remember that this is good news. This is great news news that the kingdom is not here. You may need some explanation. Most people think that I'm being some sort of terrible pessimist when I say this is not the kingdom. Have y'all seen the streets here? El Paso is a good place. Have y'all seen the streets here? This is not an effective government. No one is ruling this place with the fist of iron or rod of iron like the Messiah, right? The world's a wreck. And Jerusalem is a dwelling in safety. How am I supposed to shoehorn that into being the kingdom? The best news I can come up with is the kingdom was not in the past. And the kingdom is not now. But the kingdom is still coming. And the king is coming. That is the most optimistic viewpoint I can adopt of human history right now is hope. The blessed hope that once we are with Jesus, we will be with him forever, and we will return with him to establish his kingdom on this earth, ruling in absolute, complete political power from Jerusalem. 
very, very important <coughs> that we understand that the kingdom is still future. So let's look at Malachi. Malachi is actually quoted by Christ, so we'll point that out. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And Adonai, Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. It's important that you distinguish between the things that are translated Lord here, because these are three different people, three different persons, anyway. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like laundryman's soap. You don't know what a fuller is, do you? It's a laundry person. Laundryman. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to Yahweh offerings in righteousness. And then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh as in the days of old and as in former years. Now, one thing that we should probably note about how the prophets view the future. Well, we talked about this, that most of what prophets did was not to foretell the future. Most of what biblical prophets do, and most of them are anonymous by volume, just if we take a vote, it's the exception that they would see the future. But when they see the future, it's like, not when we're looking at the Franklins, but you know the mountains in Mexico that you can see off, and you see the silhouette? No? Y'all are just looking at the bumpers in front of you these days trying not to hit people, right? Because in this not the kingdom right now, that's what you got to do because traffic is terrible when they rip all the roads up. One day when you're not driving, look at the mountains over there and you try to tell me how much space is in between the peaks. That, that's the classic illustration. So the prophets are looking at the future and what they see are the peaks. They, they don't necessarily see every detail. And that's why Jeremiah can look and see that Yahweh says in that day, the days that are coming, I will fulfill my good word to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Malachi can take the view of the same time and he sees a slightly different event. He sees the refining of the sons of Levi that is necessary for the good word of the Lord to be fulfilled. Right? But it sounds a little more violent. <laughs> doesn't it? They're looking at the future. They don't see all of the calendar involved. They don't necessarily see all of the detail involved. Nowhere, nowhere do they see the church in the Old Testament. It's allowed for in the Old Testament. You get an inkling for it. But if you were to say to Malachi, Malachi, why didn't you see the church age? In your trajectory, he'd go, the what? Because he was a redneck, I'm sure. The what? Didn't exist. Unrevealed mystery. The church is believers in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, not destined for wrath, but for rescue. They didn't necessarily see that detail, did they? 
that's okay. We're, that's relevant to this passage. You're going to see how in a minute. And I'll, we'll say this is a little bit detailed. I'm, I've tried to make it as simple as possible. But they saw the future, right? And we can see that Malachi is seeing things, and he would have questions, perhaps like we do. Uh, and it's a good description. But Malachi, from that view in his time, sees, and he's right on the cusp of those centuries of what we call the, the time of silence in between the Old and the New Testament. But he sees this. And he sees a couple of individuals. Now, Jesus helps us out a lot because he quotes this passage. Uh, in uh, Matthew 11, he says, As the men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. So about his cousin, John, John the baptizer, he wasn't a Baptist, he was a baptizer, an immerser, an identifier of the repentant, um, he, well, anyway, I grew up Baptist, and they dressed a lot nicer than John, can I say that, at least, they had a better diet, they ate more fried chicken than John did, as did we all, he was a baptizer. He's talking about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you expect to see a sissy when you went to see John? That's what he's asking. Well, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in, in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. They don't eat bugs out in the desert. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the baptizer. Jesus loved John and knew his reputation and knew that he was the fulfillment of prophecy. So that's the first one, right? Remember, Malachi is seeing peaks. He sees the Messiah coming, but before he sees the Messiah coming, he sees the messenger who's clearing the way, making the way ready for him. That's the first person. So he clears the way for the individual, which initially Yahweh calls me. He will clear the way before me. What does he mean? He means before my purpose, before my plan is executed. He's making my way of my purpose and my plan ready. He's part of the process. And the Lord, the master whom you seek, nation, that's what you're looking for. Do you, know, you know that the nation is still looking for the Messiah, the nation of Israel. Many are not, but there, are, there is a remnant who are who are waiting for his coming, not his second coming, generally. There are some who are Messianic Jews who understand what they're waiting for. But they were seeking him, a person, an individual. But you could also understand this to be openness, right? That it is, in fact, Jesus who is God, the Son incarnate and the plan will be executed because it will be God's presence who does it it will not be delegated God's essence is bringing it about so the Lord here that is Adonai 
Now, you may know that out of probably more fear than respect, the Jews used Adonai when they read Yahweh, when they read the, the personal name. I, I kind of object to the practice because God introduced himself with his name and said, this is the name by which I will be known to all generations. And so I don't do that. I don't pronounce it Lord when I see it annotate, or, uh, depicted that way. But this is actually the word Adonai. This is where you don't have the option to say anything else. <laughs> it's Adonai, it's Lord, Master. The same way that in the New Testament, the word kurios is used, the guy in charge. It's how you would address a, a king or a nobleman maybe. The guy that's in charge. And he's coming. He will come suddenly to his temple. You ever get caught off guard by your boss? You ever been the boss that caught people off guard? That's way more fun. That's way more fun. I've caught, not intentionally, caught some folks doing some pretty sketchy stuff, endangering themselves and others. It was good that I showed up when I did. He says the Adonai will come surprisingly to his temple. Talking about the plan of God. We're looking to the, the coming kingdom. And yes, Jesus came. Jesus came, did he not? First advent. Jesus was incarnated. He was born of a virgin. He raised and grew, grew in grace and favor with God and man. And he went into the temple many times. He was an observant Jewish man. He even cleansed it twice, as I read it. Twice. That meant it didn't stay cleansed the first time. How many times do I have to flip these tables over, guys? How many times do I have to get my whip out? I just cleansed this place. Ladies, can you feel them? They're right there, right? If you ever had kids in your house, it's like a hurricane. I just cleaned this place, and a hurricane comes through. And sometimes it's your husband. My poor wife has that problem. I'm the hurricane as much as the kids are. Or were, right? But that's actually the key. See, if we read this passage, this is not talking about the cleansing of the temple that had to be repeated, that he would have to do again. Jesus was angry about it. I assume that he was probably a little more angry the second time. His earthly ministry, he cleansed the temple. But in this passage, that's not, what it, that's not what it's talking about. This is a final purification, right? This says that after suddenly coming to his temple, note the possessive, that's important. This is his temple. He owns it. His name is on the deed, right? It's known as his temple, and it belongs to him. And after he comes to it, it says he will purify the priesthood. The Jewish priesthood, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, the actual sons of Levi. So that they can then offer actual, literal sacrifices, again, sacrifices that will be accepted righteously. Meaning, as I understand it, these men will be believers in the Messiah. 
because they will have righteous standing before God. And the scripture tells us you do not have righteous standing before God any other way. By grace through faith, they will be believing priests offering acceptable and pleasing sacrifices as they did in days past. In a temple. Now, my buddy Sean, y'all met Sean, haven't you? He's Canadian, way nicer than me. He's Texan now, but he's Canadian Texan. He's still really nice, way nicer than me. But he says weird stuff sometimes, like keep the Bible weird. Isn't this weird? It's a little weird to think about a temple that is coming in which sacrifices are going to be offered. That's not that weird. But that the sacrifices are going to be offered by righteous priests and they will be acceptable and pleasing in the future. I've actually written on this. I've offered you guys an article at times past on what I think animal sacrifices did that helps explain why this is going to take place again. But it's important that we understand that, that it is his temple. That means he is worshipped there. He owns it. Right? Are we on the same page? Are we agreeing here? The possessive, that's what that means. This is the Messiah's temple. And in it, there will be a righteous priesthood offering actual sacrifices that are pleasing to Yahweh in days that are coming, future days. And all of that is going to be because he comes suddenly to his temple. I told you this is a little complex, right? You, you guys want me to go back uh, to Paul's list of do's and don'ts all of a sudden, don't you? Okay. Maybe next time. Probably not, though. All right. All of those things are true. It's his temple. He is going to be worshipped there. He owns it. At some point in days that are coming, he will purify the priesthood, refine them, cleanse them. They will have righteousness that comes by grace through faith, believers in the Messiah, and they will be offering animal sacrifices that are pleasing to Yahweh. And a lot of people today go, that does not compute. Doesn't compute. Well, we need to talk a little bit about some, this is not an actual word, guys. I just made it up. Templeology. Can we call it templeology? Not templeology. That would be something different. Templeology, the study of temples, we could say, right? There probably is some sort of other special term for it, but I made that one up, and I think it'll work. So first, right, we know the kingdom is not here today. How do, one of the ways we know that, there is no temple on the Temple Mount. Well, there is a temple. It's a satanic temple. But it's not a Jewish temple. Worshiping or serving Yahweh, that doesn't exist. Kingdom isn't there because there is no temple there, aside from being no Davidic king on a throne there. That's principle number one of templeology. Second is that there are two more temples that we expect as I read it. Two. So something's got to change, right? You may be witnessing some of the things that got to change, by the way. 
Because it's always been hard for people to consider how in the world they're going to get that medieval death cult off the Temple Mount in order to put a, a temple there. Right? Obstacle for God. Obstacle for us. Right? So we're going to expect two more temples, as I see it. What we call the third temple. This is what everyone has their imaginations running wild on. You know, I just got back from a pre-trib conference, and there's all, all sorts of really good material there, and then there's some of the fringe, right? But you've heard that people have been for years, since, the, since I was a kid, probably before, have been trying to breed a red heifer. They've been making all the, the furnishings. They've been making all the stuff so that they're ready to rock and roll if they can ever get rid of the medieval death cult off the Temple Mount. They can get Islam off of there. They're ready to go. They've been doing that. That's what we would refer to as the third temple. The first temple was Solomon's temple. Second temple was Zerubbabel's temple that Herod expanded as a political favor, but it was still the same temple. That was destroyed in 70 AD. The third temple is a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. But as I read it, the Messiah will not be worshipped there. It will be an apostate temple. Messiah will not be worshipped there. That's not what I read. In the third temple. Jews will worship there. Now we read in Daniel... And this may be another word. Daniel 9 talks about the prince who is to come. What we would identify as the Antichrist will make a firm covenant for seven years with the Jewish people. That may allow for that temple construct. That may be what it takes for that temple to be constructed. You may realize, if you're familiar with Daniel, that halfway in, or three and a half years into that period, he breaks the covenant, stops the sacrifices that were going on, and commits the abomination of desolation in the temple. The Messiah is not worshipped in that temple. It is not his temple. It is an apostate temple. The Antichrist gets worshipped there eventually. But Messiah is never, that, that's hard for me to call the Messiah's temple. So when I read Malachi, and he says that this Lord, the Adonai, will come suddenly to his temple, I don't think he's talking about that one. But the refining fire comes after that, right? Yes? Yeah. The refiner's fire comes after that. But he's not coming to that physical temple. And then, so we're still in templeology, right? There's no temple now. We're expecting two more temples. What's the second one? We're expecting Ezekiel's vision, the, the, the temple that Ezekiel saw, but I take to be the millennial temple. It's got all sorts of different dimensions. We know it's not the same thing. And in that temple, there will be Sacrifice is offered again in the millennium by a believing Levitical priesthood. That's how I read it. 
pleasing and acceptable. Four total. And you can ask, now this is a book-length thing, so I'm not going to answer it. You can why are there sacrifices in the millennial temple? Well, actually, I think there are sacrifices for the same reason that there were sacrifices in the old temple, which is as a confession of sin for people who still have a sin problem in the millennium. They still have it because babies are born in the millennium. There's an explosive population growth. And they have a need to confess their sins that they will commit. And I think it has that function, which is not salvific. It doesn't justify. But it is a means of confession. Short form. Long book if you want to read it. And the third thing that we need to remember in templeology is that temples are not forever. Revelation tells us that there is no temple in the New Jerusalem. So there are four temples and none of them are forever. So those things are needed, we need to know that. So this isn't fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Jesus entered the temple, but he didn't permanently cleanse the temple. He certainly did not permanently cleanse the Levites because a large part of the corruption of the priesthood was what caused the, the destruction in 70 AD, right? <coughs> 70 AD was brought about largely because of that. He didn't do that in his first coming. It was not accomplished. The temple at the standing of that time is destroyed. We have basically a pantry wall, I think. I think that's legitimate. Just call it that. It's, we're not even sure which jack wall it is in the compound. What we call the wailing wall. But the order here is that the Adonai, the master, the king, will come to his temple suddenly, surprisingly, and then to follow immediately, Malachi says, who can stand that? Who can endure that? It's like fire and lye soap. Y'all know that for many, many hundreds of years, people would not let soap touch their skin, right? Because it was so caustic from the lye that was in it. It would, well, it would exfoliate, right? You'd look like you just stayed at the beach too long if you let it touch you. My wife makes soap, and uh, even just a little bit of lye that we use in the kitchen, she has to suit up for because of the lye that is in it. This is caustic stuff. So he's coming in wrath. These things are statements of, of judgment, of wrath. Wrath will follow suddenly coming to his temple, but wrath does follow. There's no temple now. And the next temple to come is not going to be his, the physical thing. I told you it's a little, a little complex. The next temple to come in Jerusalem won't be his temple, but it will exist during the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's not in trouble, this Jacob. The time of Jacob, Israel's trouble. Jacob may be in trouble, but he's not in this kind of trouble. 
the wrath of God poured out on the earth. Guys, we're not destined for that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it is the period, I mean, we're not destined for wrath. This is the period of Israel's trouble, of Israel's refining, and Jesus is going to come to his temple before that, so where is he going to go? There's no temple now. The next temple to come isn't going to be his temple. It's an apostate temple. Where is he going to go? To a temple that doesn't bear his name, where he's never been worshipped and never will be worshipped? Likely built as a favor to an apostate nation. And nobody has any, any intention of keeping the covenant. <laughs> and there's a mosque there now, right? It might just take a guy like the Antichrist to fix the political problems there. Wouldn't that be something? You wonder why people follow this guy? I don't think so. So what is it describing? When is Jesus going to arrive? And for whom? Well, let me read you a few verses, familiar ones, out of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You know who's never called a temple? Israel. Israel has a temple. They build a temple. There's a temple in their midst. But the church is called a temple. And as, you know, as far as I can tell, Rizlor is never called that in a figurative or literal way. They are called the son. They're called the children. They're called the heirs. They're called... A kingdom of priests, but they're never called a temple. A place in which God dwells the same way that we are. Now remember, the prophets see the mountaintops. We taught, we taught, you can't tell Malachi, Malachi, why didn't you include something about the church in your vision? Because he doesn't know what that is. He doesn't know what that is. But does he allow for it? Yes. Because Christ is coming not to an apostate building that is going to be a center of antichrist worship, but he's going to come to his temple, the church, and after that, the refining of Israel and the refining of the priesthood. He will come suddenly, surprisingly. I think that is in a, in a shadow form. I think that's what he's seeing. The Messiah would come to this holy temple, surprisingly, suddenly. Same kind of language we use when we describe what harpazo means. You know, har harpazo? We know the Latin. You know the Latin word, rapture, the catching up. My mother would call it shaking the liver out of. So it's so sudden, right? <laughs> Leave your liver behind if you weren't all attached. That's how sudden it's going to be. Similar language, isn't it? Similarity doesn't mean sameness. We agree, but it, it allows for it. Sounds like the doctrine of imminency to me, actually. It's, it's essentially a doctrine of surprise. You will be surprised when it happens. 
and then the refining of the Levites and of Israel and the kingdom to follow. So you, you, you may not realize, because it hasn't fallen on hard times at El Paso Bible Church, but the doctrine of the blessed hope, the rapture, has fallen on hard times. A lot of people have thrown up their hands, moved to Idaho, and said, we're going to build the kingdom here. Seriously. There's a lot of post-millennialists living in the American redoubt. And they're going to get as close as they possibly can to building the kingdom here because they no longer teach the blessed hope. Can you imagine wanting to teach Scripture and the doctrine of like faith with Peter's and robbing it of something called the blessed hope? I can't. But it may be why the church is not often seen as a hopeful place. And so many times the actual hope in the doctrine of the church has been eviscerated. But we see that even in the Old Testament prophecies regarding the kingdom, it is at least permitted, at least allowed, and I think even taught, using the vocabulary available at the time. And the kingdom is coming. And it's real and actual, literal. And those days are coming. And the king is coming for us. King is coming. And this morning, we're going to just take a few minutes to remember. To remember by proclaiming his death until he comes. And so I'd invite you to join with us this morning. Um, I'll give you a few moments uh, to spend before the Lord, uh, spend in silence if you prefer, uh, and then I'll ask the men to come forward to distribute the elements. Men, if you would, come forward.
Receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you stand with us, we'll dismiss with a song. So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember. 
to follow in the steps of Christ as his body under as we share in his suffering we proclaim Christ will come again and we'll join in the feast of him around the table of tea God bless you guys enjoy your Sunday we'll see you tonight at 6 p.m.